time, but especially for each other. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you see that? Do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Jesus was all in with ministry. He loved unconditionally and was good to everyone around him. He's calling you to do the same. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will encourage you to mimic Jesus in this way by doing good to everyone you meet, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't assume that just because someone has Jesus, they'll be fine. Your family of faith still needs support and prayer just like you do. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his message, Jesus is Worthy in 1 John chapter 3. My friend Larry, who went home to be with the Lord, 40 years old, after a battle with cancer. Heartbreaking. On three different occasions, Larry pulled me aside and wanted to talk about his memorial. He just said, look, I just want you to give him the gospel. I want you to tell him about Jesus. They're here, they're there for me. I want it to be about Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, that's extraordinary. It's, ex- it's extraordinary. Out of all the things that could be said, he's like, look, it's not about me. I just want people to, if, if, if I die and people come to know Jesus, I'm good with that. That's extraordinary. That's not little. I mean, it's very easy. I want everyone to cry for me. I want everyone to be there. And if they're not there, I'm going to be looking down from heaven. I'm going to be very upset that so-and-so wasn't there or so-and-so said that thing. No, it's like, I just want people to know about Jesus. To me, that's extraordinary. That's powerful. That's God, the life of God in the soul of a person being used. We celebrate God using us in extraordinary ways. I expect to hear extraordinary tales through your life. I expect that because we believe in an extraordinary God. We trust him, and he likes to use people like us. Next, we always give love even when it hurts. We always give love. You notice that word always is underlined. What does always mean? Always, that's right. We always give love, even when it hurts. This speaks, of course, to our ethics. As Christians and as a church, our ethics is love. And not just, you know, kind of warm and fuzzy feeling love. We, we appreciate that. But we realize that love is not, you know, ooey-gooey, warm and fuzzy all the time. Sometimes love just hurts. Love is a disposition of the heart. It's a position of the will. It just says, look, I'm just going to give love. It doesn't matter how it feels. I'm not going to let my feelings dictate how I treat people because Jesus has something greater for me. Our ethics 
is an ethic of love. It always is. You guys have heard me say it. You've heard Pastor Bill say it for years. We believe in being radical in love. We are terrorists in love. And I, I, listen, I use that, I use that phrase. I realize it's provocative. We are jihadists. Our holy war is love. Let's just take the word, let's just take that word jihad. Let's take it back. Because jihad, maybe in some people's minds, it's bombing people and hurting people. Jesus, he was on a holy war. And that holy war was to usher love into the world. And he did it through his own sacrifice. So I don't mind. I'm a jihadist in love. I'm going to love everybody, even when it hurts. I'm not going to let myself off the hook when it's hard to love. Because Jesus did not let himself off the hook, knowing what his love and God's love would do for you and I. Listen to John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Wow. Jesus said, look, my commandment, you love other people the way I've loved you. And you might say, well, well, how have you loved me, Lord? Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's why I wrote down, we will always give love even when it hurts. I've never been crucified. I can't even imagine. Separate out the spiritual dimension for Jesus of on that cross, experiencing hell on earth as his father turned away from him. I can't even fathom that. Just the physical, the physical pain. I remember when the Passion of the Christ came out before Mel Gibson went totally loco. I remember watching that movie and just being, it was the most brutal, violent movie I'd ever seen. Because when you watch violent movies, the violence is spread. You know, it's like there's violence everywhere. But watching The Passion of the Christ, and I don't know that I would recommend the movie necessarily, but watching it, it's like you're watching one person be continually brutalized. And every once in a while, they would pull you out and take you off on like a little side tangent so you can collect yourself again, to go back to this one person being violently brutalized. That was the love of God right there. I can't imagine the pain that Jesus felt. I can't even fathom it. But that's the love of God. That's the length that God's love will go. As I loved you, go love one another. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We are going to find ways to give love even when it hurts. We're going to say, God, we're going to do without certain things so that others who are in serious need will have the things that they need. We believe in an ethic of love, of self-sacrifice. Why? Because we can't call ourselves Christians unless we do. If you're in here today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have accepted God's standard of love, the cross. If you're in here today, maybe you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you're here today and you're thinking about this whole Jesus thing and you're thinking, I can't imagine that God would love me that much that he would die for me. I realize you can't fathom it because nobody else ever would. But Jesus does. 
And Jesus died on a cross for you because of love. Because God loved you so much, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, whoever would trust in him, no matter who you are or what you've done, because of such a great love as the love of Jesus that he died on a cross for your sins, then you are acceptable to God. That's the gospel. The gospel is that. And we live in response, as we simply respond to Jesus, his self-sacrificial love. And now we live self-sacrificially as well. We give love always, even when it hurts. Notice next, we are passionate about seeing people take the next steps. We are passionate about seeing people take the next steps. This is one of our core values. Because everyone's in process... We are passionate about seeing everybody take the next steps. Why? Because there is always a next step because we are always in process. There's always the next place to get to in our journey of faith. I think of Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see that? If somebody is overtaken in a trespass, if someone stumbles, we need to restore them. For each each one of us, there's the next step God has us at because we're in process, we're growing. So wherever you are today, guess what? Praise God. You're not what you used to be, but God wants you to take that next step. And so we want to see everyone take the next step. We want to see people serve the Lord more pronouncedly. We want to see people step into leadership. We want leaders to take the next step in leadership. We believe in multiplication as a core value. So if you're here today and you're like, okay, I am in my easy chair with Jesus. I'm that guy. If you got your recliner back, I just took this thing and I just... Jam the lever forward, you're falling out the chair. There's no easy chair in the kingdom. We are saved, and that's the easy chair. And because Jesus isn't back yet, we have to keep going forward. So wherever, I want you to even write down what your next step is, what the next thing God has for you is. That next, that next baby step in the journey of faith. Maybe it's stepping out and serving. Maybe it's taking a mission trip. Maybe it's doing a mission trip to your family members. Maybe it's using your Facebook for a place to do evangelism. Whatever it is, take the next step. And we are here as a church passionately wanting to help you take the next step. To do the next thing, to grow in your faith, to do the next thing that God has for you. Now, after that, notice what it says. We will use whatever means necessary to help people meet Jesus. We will use whatever means necessary to help people meet Jesus. This speaks to us about our methodology and evangelism. Our methodology. What means will we use to help people meet Jesus? Whatever means necessary. Except for sin. We won't sin to help people meet Jesus, but we'll use everything else. We believe in, in a flexible methodology, we'll use the internet, we'll use good old-fashioned door-to-door evangelism, we'll use pulpit evangelism, we will use relational evangelism, we will use mailing cards, 
You name it, we'll do it. We believe in being totally flexible. We don't think one is more spiritual than the other. The only thing that's truly spiritual is seeing someone come to meet with Jesus. So if we do something, imagine this, we do something like, I don't understand what they're doing. You might want to say they're using whatever means necessary to try and help people meet Jesus. We do not think one is more better or godly. Whatever we can use to see people meet Jesus, we're going to do that. And now notice, we want people to meet with Jesus. We believe in evangelism. We believe that the purpose of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God happens where God is king. And although God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the kingdom happens when God is the king over someone's life. And that can only happen when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus. So I want to thank you. For those of you who are here every week, week in and week out, I want to thank you. And the reason I want to thank you is because every single week you take five, ten minutes of your time and you, even though you believe in Jesus, you hear me give an altar call and you wait and you pray. And I realize that every single week, it's like, we're doing it. If you're here today, you never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. And as a family of faith, we are willing to give up five or ten minutes of our time and ask God's blessing on your life Because even though people in here, they've already put their faith and trust in Jesus, they want to see more people put their faith and trust in Jesus. As the body's been so flexible to say, look, yeah, it's going to take 10 minutes at the end of every service, and there's going to be an opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I know your stomach starts growling, and you got places to go. But really, is it really worth it to jump out of there and get your stomach filled and miss out watching people take their first steps, baby steps with Jesus? So we're always going to do that. Now, listen, there's some of you who've been around church a long time where all of a sudden it's like, well, why do you give people an opportunity to receive Jesus? And where is that in the Bible? And where is the sinner's prayer in the Bible? I want to explain this to you for a second. And I think this is important. The church gets very self-conscious overall. They start looking at themselves and say, why do we do this? Why do we do that? I was reading a book, great book by a great author, a guy I respect. He was going on and on and on about how asking people to make a decision for Christ makes no sense. And he was saying, listen, a year later, 30% of the people who make a decision for Christ aren't walking with Jesus a year later. So don't make people make a decision for Christ. I, want to, I, I wish I could just talk with them because you know what I said? In my, when I'm reading this, I'm like, well, what percentage of people who don't make a decision for Christ are walking with him a year later? Does anyone know what percentage of people who don't make a decision for Christ or walk with Jesus a year later? Zero. I'll take the 30%. Listen, being a disciple begins with a decision. It begins with it. And so we're unashamed to say, look, we want you to make a decision because that begins the process. Because if you don't make a decision, you're not a disciple. And you will not be a disciple until you make a decision. So we want to preach the gospel and we want to give people an opportunity to make a decision to start to be a disciple. That's why we do it. We realize it takes a little extra time, and we thank you for your graciousness with it. But man, we want to see, we are passionate about this. We'll use whatever means necessary to people, see people come to know Jesus. That's what being a disciple means. It means connecting people to Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. Make disciples. Being a disciple begins with a decision. Next, we are committed to making the world a better place. We are committed to making the world a better place. 
Now, I talked about this last week in the Jesus is on mission, we respond message. This speaks of compassion and renewal. Now, listen, we do not worship the world that we live in, but we are also not escapists either. See, the, the church ends up on two polar opposites. Remember last week we said re- reject false dichotomies? They say either you value the creation and you value the world, or you just want to get the rapture over and get out of here. And it's like you have these two options. I think both options are totally wrong. We don't worship, we don't worship this world, but we realize that we were created to be stewards of this world. Listen to Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 to 28, sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created humanity to be his steward of his creation. We are meant to subdue it, have dominion over it. And we know from Jesus that our dominion, our dominion, is a servant leadership dominion. Jesus isn't our Lord and he does whatever he wants with us. He's building us up. So we value this creation. We value making the world a better place, but we don't worship this life. But we're also not looking to get out of here either because you know what? That mails in the life that God has ordained for us. We can't wait to be in heaven, but until we're there, we got work to do here. We're, we're going to be like the Apostle Paul for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So if you're here now, don't worry about dying being gain. You, for you to live as Christ. We value. We're going to make this world a better place. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to clothe the naked. We're going to get clean water to people who need it. Why? Because of compassion. If we were hungry, naked, or wanting clean water, we'd hope someone who had the means would help us. We don't do it because we don't believe in going to heaven when we die. Of course we do. We, we don't do that because we really love this earth and we worship this. No, we believe that part of our stewardship as humans is to see the kingdom of God ushered in through gospel proclamation and through gospel demonstration. And we talk about this all the time. We're, we're committed to this. We want to see the world a better place. We want to see our community and our world transformed. And we have, as a Large church, we have large responsibility before the Lord, for this community, for this globe. As individuals, we have a responsibility to the Lord. To whom much has been given, what? Much is required. And we're going to grab hope. We're committed to making the world a better place. We want to see Clark County totally change. We want to see Portland Metro area totally change. And we want to see the ends of the earth totally changed. While Jesus is still away, We got work to do. When he comes back, then we'll just be rejoicing with him. And we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But we're not trying to get out of here too quick. And we're not trying to pretend like this is our eternal abode either. We have that tension, that sweet spot in between the two. Finally, my last one of these. We are all in all the time, especially for each other. We are all in all the time, 
especially for each other. This, again, this is an amplification of we're a family of faith fully engaged, all in, all the time, but especially for each other. This speaks of our love of community. We believe that a good community is mutually nurturing. We're all, like a good family, it's everyone is getting nurtured and built up. So we're all in all the time, but especially for each other. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary in, while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you see that? Do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. That's why we say we're all in all the time, especially for each other. I'm going to close with this point. God has, God loves everybody, but God has a preferential love for those who are his sons and daughters. Just the way in our families, I love all of you, but I have a preferential love for my wife, Lynn, and my kids. I love you very much, but I get to share things with my wife I won't share with you. I'm going to pay to put my kids through college, not necessarily yours. That's my responsibility. So it's not wrong. Some people think, oh, all love has to be absolutely standard. No, no, listen. God loves everybody, but his love for his church is preferential because they said, look, I want to be in your family. And God says, okay, great. Even though God makes it rain on the just and the unjust, he's got a special preferential love for the family. So for us, we are all in all the time. We're fully engaged as individuals, as a church, but especially for each other because we realize that we have a special responsibility to those who are of our local family of faith. Does that make sense? God's preferential love isn't a diminishment of his love. For those who choose him, they get the fullness of God's love. And we love everybody. We love everybody in the world, but we have a special preferential love for each other, those of us who are here as a family. And I think this is beautiful because our philosophy is to be all in all the time, especially for each other. We want to walk together. We want to grow together. We want to learn together. And our community, we realize that we have a preferential love for each other. So that is our eight core values. I believe that the core values are living, which means they might, we might get extra ones as we go along. We might realize we missed something or reword something. But I ask you today this simple question. How would our lives as a congregation and as individuals change if we really live these eight core values out in every sphere of our lives? To me, that's the next steps for all of us. How do we put legs on this stuff? In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you that faith is a journey. The journey also won't be complete until you reach heaven. That doesn't mean you should halt progress now. Dive into serving the Lord and let yourself stumble sometimes. Learn from the mistakes. Hold on to the God you trust in and help the world around you grow and flourish in Jesus. Never stop seeking to be what God has called you to be. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy and the hard reality is if it isn't messy for you now, it will be 
and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Jesus is real. Through this study, Pastor Daniel has proved that the Savior of the world lived an extraordinary life and expects you to dive in with him. Because you believe that Jesus is real, you need to take action. Follow in his footsteps. Learn how to serve as he did. and Let yourself continue to grow and mature in your own faith. The road won't be easy, but remember that Jesus is always with you to give you the strength you need. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.